Moto America fans, it's time for another episode of Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you may even learn something from this unlikely pair and their special guest. The mic is yours, Paul and Sean. Hello, Moto America fans. This is Paul Carruthers, and this is the weekly Moto America podcast, Off Track with Carruthers and Bice. I'm joined, as always, by Sean Bice, who's out in Ohio. I reside in not-so-sunny California at the moment. And our guest today is Jackson Blackman. We'll chat with Jackson here in a second. But uh, how how are you today, Sean? Post-Daytona Blues? Yeah, it was, it, it was great. We're all in Florida together. That was... Uh... That was a great few days out there. Um, we were remarking when we were there how it's so so weird how we get on there and it, the events. It, it starts a day early and ends a day earlier than normal. So we, we couldn't really figure out what day it ever was with the, the 200 being on Saturday and, and then being Sunday kind of a traveling day. That was a little different for all of us, I guess. So, um, But it was a good event. Wow, it was a good event. Yeah, and most of us actually had trouble getting home with the... Yep. Uh, I know I we ran into trouble getting to Atlanta and they sent us to uh, Columbia, South Carolina, and then we finally got to Atlanta and, and got home. But it was it was, you know, about nine hours later than what we were supposed to get home. So it was uh, it was a little difficult. But no, I, I, I enjoyed Daytona. I mean, we had a bit of controversy with with the Daytona 200 and, you know, how some people perceived what, what happened versus what actually happened. And. You know, I think I think our guys and girls um, followed the rule book. Uh, yep. I think there's just a lot of people, myself included, who wasn't really up to speed on on what those particular rules were. Uh, I think we all need to get a little better about that. I know Jason and Jason Prigmore and Greg White were a little off base with it. And like I said, I was I'm as guilty as anybody for not knowing what those rules were. So from the outside looking in, they seemed a little a little wonky. But uh, like I said, they they were following the rules to to the T. So uh, I don't know if some of those rules need to be tinkered with or what have you. But and then there's the um, you know the uh, the incident there with with Josh Heron and Richie Escalante. And you know it's funny because it's 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 one of those things. And it's kind of it's the same with all racing and, and and sports, I guess in in general. But you always tend to look at it from the side. Like it, it, if you're a, if you're a Richie Escalante fan, then you're then you're pissed and you, and you think it's Josh Heron's fault. And if you're a Josh Heron fan, then you think everything's OK. And I kind of fall in the middle because I would have liked to have seen the incident not happen. I would have liked to have seen the race go the full distance with the two guys who by that point had been the herd so that they were it was just the two of them. And it was going to be a two man race to the finish. And we would have seen what, you know, who had what and, and how it transpired. but we didn't get the opportunity to do that because they came together and Richie crashed. And, and then a few laps later, obviously we had the red flag and the whole thing started over again anyway. But uh, yeah, it would have, uh, it, it would have been nice if it was a little different, but uh, you know, in the end, I think other than the incident with Richie, whether you see it as, as Heron being right or wrong. Uh, I mean, he was, he was the guy that was at the front with Richie and like I said, it was down to those two. So he, he, he is deserving of the victory more so than, than maybe a guy who was not even in the lead pack and might've been 10th, but was in the re in the lead pack in the 10 lap restart. So 
I, I think it it all turned out okay for for most people, and there's always going to be people that are upset that, that that it didn't turn out the way that they wanted. But overall, that's kind of my take on it. Um, obviously, the rest of the races were awesome as well, and uh, it was just um, it was a good Daytona week. It was a good way to get our season started, and I think our guest would agree. I mean, he Jackson is back from an injury. It was a, a severe ankle break that he had at road America last year. And it's been a long struggle for him. So for him to come to Daytona and start a season with a second and a third place finish. So two podiums and two of the Revit twins cup races, he's got to be happy. It's you know, he's second in points. He's nine behind Gus rodeo. He's nine ahead of Hayden Schultz. He's in a really good position leaving Daytona. And Daytona is one of those things. It's like people always say, you can't win the championship there, but you could definitely lose it. And I think it's a nice, it's a nice little boost to leave there, you know, with good points and and obviously confidence going to road Atlanta. So that's my take on it, Sean. Do you got anything to add before we start talking to Jackson? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, everything like what you said, I think I was as guilty as anybody else of, you know, I I have looked at those rules before, but, you know, I I, I certainly can't retain them and don't memorize them. And um, there are certain things. Well, the supplemental rules about Daytona, I mean, that was incredible that of anything that could happen in that 200, it, it got red flagged on the 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 lap that applied to that rule where if it's less, if it's more than five laps remaining, which it was, then you have to do a restart and you can't just restart it with five laps. You have to add five laps onto it. So it was just one of those weird situations where it was a perfect storm. I mean, you, you know, Paul Don MD was down there and in the, and you know, he's as much of a historian as anybody about the date, the 200 and has written books about it. And he, you know, he admitted that that's never happened before. There have been a lot of shorter Daytona 200s. There was never one that was that long in terms of laps and in terms of miles, but it was absolutely by the rule book. And then, you know, there were some things in those rules that apply to all of our sprint races. But of course, when you have uh, the rest of our races that are of a shorter duration, our sprint races, instead of if you want to call the Daytona 200 an endurance race, then, you know, there are things that come into play that, that don't always like this, this issue about lap riders that get back on the lead lap. lap. Well, that happens at every one of our races. That's a rule that is always there. It's just that, you know, generally um, in our sprint races, you don't have guys that are, you know, two and three laps down or something and get back in a race. So there's a lot of stuff about it, but like you said, I mean, one thing with Moto America, you know, it's they're, they're receptive. We are receptive to things and, you know, there are rules and they followed the rules and the rules were right. Well, I, the rule, I don't, I guess you can argue whether the rules are right. That's my point. Our issue is, you know, we, rules can be changed and, you know, they're certainly going to look at it and try to figure out, well, you know, we followed the rules, but was that the best way to go? And, you know, maybe things can change. Everything's always in flux, but it was all written down. It was all accounted for and it was all done by the rules, which, you know, sometimes following rules aren't always the easiest thing to do. And yet, you know, that's what created some of it. I will say about, about Richie and about, um, about Josh Heron. I mean, I felt the same way as you did. I, you know, I root for both those guys and I root for more than anything for an awesome race. And it seemed like it was going to come down to that for sure. I think it did anyway in the restart, but you know, it was a shame for Richie that he couldn't continue. The interesting thing is that, you know, both those guys are going to be racing this season in the Medallia Superbike cup. So maybe there's a rivalry brewing there that we will see, you know, as, as early as road Atlanta, when the Superbikes get underway there. So it's going to be interesting, but yeah, let's get, let's get Jackson Blackman on because um, for sure, 
sure. I was very impressed with what he did um, at Daytona. I mean, he really came out of the blocks and did some amazing things. So let, let's let's bring it, him in. Jackson, it's, it's great to have you on the podcast after such an amazing Daytona for you. Welcome. Yeah, for sure. I really appreciate you guys having me on. Um, you know, Daytona couldn't have gone much better, really. And especially coming back from the ankle injury, it was, uh, it gave me the peace of mind, you know, to know that the the ankle wasn't playing a part in my riding and I was able to have good confidence on the bike. You know, Jackson, it was funny because, I mean, I don't know, it felt like me, if to me ta- in talking to you, I mean, I know that you, you, you've got a new leathers company this year and, and, you know, things came together for whatever reason, just in time for Daytona, it seemed to me like it was a little, for me, it felt a little nerve wracking. Like, you know, you were getting your team together, you're getting your bike together, your leathers, your cult, your livery, all that stuff. And then it all, it all really did gel just in time for Daytona. Did it, did it feel like you kind of got, went right to the 11th hour on some things? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so as, as uh, I'm sure that most of you know around the pack now, but some may not know is um, I run my own race team. So Blackman Racing, uh, which of course sponsored by Track Day Winner, uh, couldn't do it without our, our title sponsor. Um, but, you know, most of the bike work is done from me and my dad and uh, my buddy Giacomo Monera and Brandon Cole. Um, we all put a lot of hours on that bike uh, right up to the race and even at the racetrack, still soaring through some things and uh, working with our engine builder, Kobe Adams and our tuner Lee shirts, at least performance. And, uh, it was really a collaborative effort of everybody putting in a lot of hours and making it happen. And so it just felt so nice to kind of pay back, uh, all that, that hard work to my whole team, uh, and my family, you know, to come out and have really the best start of the season I've had and probably the last just about four seasons. All right, I'm gonna put you on the stop on the I'm gonna put the hot button in your in your hand there and, and ask you a question you're not gonna to want to answer. But what what was your view on the, the Heron Escalante incident? <laughs> well uh that's a tough one. I feel like I'm just kind of playing a tape recorder over me, you and and Sean's answers on that. But I think where I'd like to leave it is like I would have loved to see the race come down to the end. You know, um, however that would have played out would have been, I think, a really great race to watch. But it's just unfortunate to see something like that happen um, right in that kind of awkward race distance where I think they were talking about if it would have gone like a lap or two further, it would have been played out even differently with how they would have handled the situation and everything. for me, it was kind of interesting to see, like, I know they went by the rule book and everything, but some of the penalties I felt like, uh, kind of varied in, in the crime, I guess, maybe. Um, although I know, like I said, everything was done to the rule book, but, um, it was definitely an interesting race, you know? So I'm curious to see how the rest of the season plays out. Like you said, between those two guys, I know that, uh, Richie, you know, didn't look very happy. No, he actually, which I can't believe Heron says he actually flipped him off, which I couldn't imagine Richie doing that, but I guess he did. And 
why not? I mean, he's obviously put a lot of effort into it and it got taken away there close to the end. But yeah, I don't, uh, th- that was very politically correct, by the way, Jackson and Sean and I have kind of been dancing on the same fence. So we're probably all in line with that. But I was, uh, I don't know, I was a little miffed that I don't, I just, it doesn't seem to me like that race would come down to turn one at Daytona because um, there's, I, I, if you, it, I don't think it matters if you lead out of turn one or not. Uh, you, you, you're a racer. You would, you would be able to tell me that, it, especially at Daytona. I just don't see that. I don't know. Maybe the last lap or something. You, you give that a go. But anyway, let's put that behind us. Um, you qualified eighth last year for Daytona. I just looked this up this morning, and you did a two minute point six six three lap. And then this year you qualified seventh, and you're almost three seconds quicker. What's what's the deal there? I mean, is it something the bike's gotten a lot better? Was the track different? Tires different? You different? Honestly, that's kind of a crazy, crazy uh, stat there. Um, I do remember last year being a little tough with the weather. Oh, that's um, true. With, yeah, we had some with rain. some of the the rain involved there. Um, but actually, when I looked at some of the trap speeds, I believe that we're within two to three mile an hour of speeds last year. Um, and so it honestly just seemed like the pace was, was really hot this year. And it was my last year was my first year at the track. So this year getting a little, having a little more track knowledge. Um, and one of the bigger changes was actually I swapped this year to K tech and I've swapped from R seven front forks to R one front forks. And to me, it's been a, a game changer and uh, the dynamics of the bike and the feedback I'm getting. And so I felt a lot more comfortable uh, out of the gate this year. And it looked like some other guys have found some pace too. Like, especially uh, Gus came out really strong. Um, of course, Mesa there riding the twin. He has a ton of experience and was setting good pace throughout the weekend. And, um, and then also, you know, like Dominic Doyle, but, you know, kind of hate that he had an unfortunate weekend. Yeah, I mean, with the exception of Stefano, it kind of looks like, you know, junior cup racing, you know, it's like a lot of the same people and it's it's the same riders and it's good to see him move up in class and and be competitive at the front of that class as well. When you back to back to last year, things were going pretty well for you prior to getting hurt. I mean, you're, you're off to a decent start. You had two fourth place finishes and three sixth place finishes, I believe, going into Road America. Then you have the crash and your ankles broken and your season's over was at the, at the, when, at the point that you crashed and you were getting, you know, help at at the track there, did, did you think it was as bad as it was? Did you think it was going to be worse or what was your initial feelings on that when you were laying there and you were, you know, pretty badly hurt? Man, that was, that was a crazy day for sure. Uh, it was just one of those weird crashes. Um, that was in the first practice session at Road America. Didn't feel like I was riding very hard or over my head, you know, and just got caught out, you know, I think with maybe a little bit of a green track and maybe a little bit of bad luck. Um, but I definitely remember as soon as I went down, it just was unfortunate the way I kind of, my legs like windmilled kind of, I guess to would be the best term. Um, and when it smacked the asphalt, my ankle, um, man, that thing was hurting bad. Like I thought 
before, maybe when I dislocated my shoulder was like pretty, pretty bad pain. Like the first time. Um, but that definitely topped it for sure. So I figured something was off. Um, but I had no idea what, because even in the ambulance, they said they didn't see a whole lot of swelling. So they thought at first, maybe I did my Achilles tendon. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just remember them pumping me up with a bunch of pain meds to send me off to the hospital. And the first place said it wasn't, wasn't that bad, may or may not need surgery. And then when I got a second look at it, they said I need to go and get surgery like ASAP, like within 24 hours. Cause it's, it's so far from my heart. And so it can really mess with the recovery process of getting blood flow. Um, so then I went straight down South and I'm getting, uh, seven screws and a plate. Um, and they actually had to cut off a piece of my, um, my tibula to get to it. Um, and so the recovery process was much longer than I thought it was going to be. I thought I'd be back for the last couple of rounds. And I think even at that point, I was barely walking around uh, with a crutch. So it ended up taking, I think, borderline around like eight months to be somewhat fully recovered. And my leg's still just a hair smaller than my right leg. Um, but luckily, I was able to gain a lot of range of motion back because I guess uh, with that injury, it's common for most people to barely get back to 90 degrees uh, from like their ankle to leg. Um, and I think I'm well past that. So I think one of the biggest things has been just a lot of cycling has been helping blood flow and mobility. Have, have, does it still hamper? Does it hamper you in any way, Jackson mobility, or, you know, you said it's shorter, um, walking or, you know, is it going to get better even over time from, from this point? Yeah, they said that I still have a little bit of swelling that, I think they said it would take probably about a year from the injury to kind of go, go away. Like for the most part, like it'll still be a little bit bigger. Um, but it doesn't really bother me too much in day to day. Um, it's more of if I'm just standing around, like, so if I'm constantly moving, it's getting more blood flow. It feels a lot better, but if I'm, in the machine shop or something, just kind of standing at the same machine for a while, it'll kind of get tight on me. Uh, so it's just kind of a lot of stretching. So I definitely have to be more mindful of it, you know, like from day to day. And I've noticed that I don't know like the scientifics behind it, but when like a storm's coming in or it's cold, I definitely feel it in my ankle. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely one of those things, you know, it's funny. We, Paul and I get uh, made fun of a little bit because we always talk about the weather, but I was going to say that that's something that you hear a lot with people that have injuries, how you can feel issues with weather and, and things, you know, somebody will have that with their knee or their ankle. So from what we've been able to gather, it also seems like Sam Lockoff, you know, has got, is his, do you, have you talked to him? Is his injury similar to yours? Because he's having a, a terrible time trying to get his himself back to a hundred percent too. Do you know if it's like what you had? Yes. I'm actually pretty good buddies with Sam and ours are somewhat relatable, but I think that where ours, um, where our injuries kind of part ways is, I believe that when he was coming back to riding, there may have been uh, some ligament damage. Um, don't exactly quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's where it was the last last time I talked to him. Um, and so definitely that's a lot longer recovery time and a lot more complicated than just a bone. So, um, so I believe he had to get some uh, some ligaments repaired 
Um, and so I think that's been the big factor of him kind of not being at Daytona. Cause I know that uh, I saw him at Daytona, but not racing. And so I know that's gotta be killing him too, you know, looking at it, what you did was the smartest thing. And that's not trying to come back. I mean, you're young, you're not leading the freaking MotoGP world championship. So there's, it, I think sitting out as much as you did and, and really working on that with a, with a goal of being at Daytona was in, in looking back at it, that was the right thing to do. Yeah, definitely. I was, it was killing me to sit out last year and I've never been out of a season for that long. So it was, it was pretty nerve wracking, like showing up at Daytona and I I hadn't rode my big bike since shoot, I, it's hard to do the math, but from June all the way till the week of Daytona, I didn't ride till two days before we got there. So I was really, you know, just kind of along for the ride, you know, to see how, how I ended up doing. And I think it was one of the best things I ever did, like you said, was to just let it heal back right so it's not in my head and I can just go out and ride and just enjoy racing again. And I feel like that's when you have the best weekends is, um, you know, you're just able to do, do what you love to do. And although we were stressing some things with the bike, you know, I think it kind of helped me stay focused and just think about improving every session. Um, like one of my longtime mentors, uh, Dale quarterly had always tried to get in my head that it, it only matters come race time and especially, you know, the last few laps. So as long as we're improving myself and the bike all the way through qualifying, you know, it's almost like practice. Like you don't want to be too far back, but as long as I know, I knew at Daytona too, just as long as we're in the hunt, those first three rows, then the race is going to, you know, be a Daytona race. So we are just trying to work on the bike and myself every session. And I think we'll have a better package starting out at Atlanta. You know, I remember last year, Jackson, when you had your, you had kind of not really your mindset on it, but you did have a goal that you wanted to come back for Barber at the end of the season. And obviously that ended up not happening. So, I mean, that was a plan at one point, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I was working hard with, I was going to physical therapy three times a week, even, um, to try to prepare for Barber, especially now that's one of my favorite tracks, but when it came down to it, like, you know, it just really wasn't worth going out. Like you said, when I wasn't in the championship and this and that to go out and ride at 80, 85%. So it was just a much smarter decision to get fully healed up and thankfully sponsors and everybody understood that as well. Yeah. I want to talk about a couple of things about you at Daytona. You know, I, I was kidding with you in your, in your uh, garage that, um, you know, I'm colorblind. So I had the darndest time trying to figure out what co- what the colors were on your bike. Um, the gray that you, I think it's gray is one of the colors. That was the one I had the toughest time with. And from what I understand, y- you were, you were pretty ab- adamant or it was your, your decision on the design scheme of the bike, the colors of the leathers. Um, I had talked to Matthew miles a little bit who represents Revit leathers, who was your, who was sponsoring you this year. And, um, he was, he and I were talking about how, you know, you were pretty specific about how you wanted your leathers to be. Um, and it impressed me that you had a definite design sense and an idea graphically about you wanted, how you wanted yourself in that bike to look. Is that true that you, you had a definite feeling on what, how you wanted to come out this this year? 
Yeah, you know, it's it's funny you say that. I, I always get mixed feelings from the paddock on all the pink <laughs> that I run. And uh, and so this year I wanted to change up a little bit, but I feel like that's kind of one of the things that helps um, distinguish me from the other riders in the paddock is since I run my own team, you know, it's kind of, it's all up to me on how I want to design it. There's no, nobody above me to say, you can't do this or can't do that. So I try to step into the avenue that other people can't, you know, and, uh, and I got to give it to Chris Parrish also, um, another twins racer that painted my body work. I just kind of, we worked a lot with Revit on my, my race suit this year, which turned out incredible. Um, and I just sent the, sent the suit design over to Chris Parrish and uh, just kind of let him do whatever he thought would match good on the body work. And it turned out awesome. I loved like the kind of two tone and uh, it seemed like a lot of other people did as well. And so it helps kind of make me stand out on track. And one other little fun fact, I guess, is some people don't know why I started running the pink originally, but uh, when I was in elementary school, I had a classmate of mine, um, her her mother got uh, breast cancer. And so one year at the, uh, we were uh, grand national finals. We painted the bike all pink and put like race for the girls on there. Um, as to kind of support uh, breast cancer. And then my dad loved how easy it was to spot me on the track. And so we just started doing it every year, but that's kind of the, the, um, beginning of the, the pink, I guess I'd say. Wow, Jackson, that is awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I never knew that story about the pink either, but that that's cool that you 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 race for a cause, didn't and still do. That's that's cool. The other thing I noticed about you, um, are you are you taller than you were at all? <laughs> I think actually I feel like I've been the same. Okay. I, I know <laughs> I know Paul could stick with me on the on the height game, but uh, easy. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, at, at Daytona, especially, I'd say that it's uh, it's an advantage. I think Gus was the only one that was uh, that weighed less than me. I'm around like 135 right now, and I think when I ran Junior Cup, I was like 130. So I really haven't changed much um, when it comes to like physical height and weight. But but I, d- I definitely realize now it feels weird to say this, but now I'm in my my early 20s here. Uh, it takes more work to stay at this range. Well, it's funny. I heard you guys talk, you know, you were talking with Gus on the podium about weight and everything. And I overheard you saying that. And, and when I dropped, you know, I dropped you off afterwards, normally Paul brings you guys back, but I ended up doing it that time. And when, when you jumped off and stood up, it must be the fit of the leathers or something, because you know, they, uh, they fit you really well, I guess. And it makes you kind of look a little bit taller. So I, I wasn't sure. Um, but the other thing I want to talk to you about is your bike. So I'm very fascinated with the twins cup bikes. I always have been being, it's a tuner class and there's so much that seems to be able to be done with those bikes. And I know a lot of it seems to be to try to get air to the air box behind the, the cylinders on those bikes, obviously, especially if, if it's a parallel twin, like the um, R7 is. And I talked to Ed Sullivan a little bit, who is the crew chief for Westby racing and also participated in uh, twins cup on an R7 Early in the season, he was, he had worked, he's got a, he's got a company uh, that he creates composite, you know, carbon fiber parts and things like that for car racing and all kinds of stuff. And he had a, 
kind of a snorkel out one side of the, the bike in testing. I think they might've either gone to Homestead or, or I think it might've been Homestead. And it was a little bit like the latter, the last iterations of the, the old TZ 252 stroke bike, which didn't made sense, which did make sense to me because, you know, Ed raced TZs. So he knew how important it was on that bike to get air into the air box too. So I know they did a lot with it and they finally evolved it back around to where the air is coming in through that big sort of what looks like an intake on the front of the, the, the fairing where the, the headlight is on the street bike. But looking at your bike, you have this gigantic rectangular hole in the front of the bike, which I, I didn't see on any of the other R7s. And I know Chris Parrish has done a lot with with um, air management on the body work that he creates. You mentioned him earlier, but I hadn't seen anything like what you did. And can you talk about that? Because you guys are a small team. It obviously must have done it, done a good job. And I'm not trying to discount your own riding ability, but you obviously, you know, got some good performance out of that bike, too. Without giving away any trade secrets, can you talk about what you did with that bike to, to have it look like it does and what what it's what purpose it's serving? Yeah. You know, actually I got to give that one to my dad. Um, my dad actually got a 3d printer last year. And as some of you may know, he runs a, a CNC machine shop, uh, in the backyard actually. Um, but he's definitely a really smart guy and he had kind of heard and saw a little bit of what some guys were, were trying to do with some, uh, some kind of Ram air system on the bikes. And so we just tried to take it one step further and look to see, uh, or I say we, but really him, um, try to see how we could make it one step better. And, uh, and so we kind of went to work on it. I actually kind of late it was probably maybe just a few weeks or maybe just a couple of weeks before Daytona, um, started just printing out parts and, you know, it's some of the parts being, I mean, it could take, six hours, seven hours to print a piece. So we were kind of just throwing shots at it and um, came down to the wire. But when we got up on the dyno and did a little bit of testing with uh, with a leaf blower pointed at the front of the thing and trying whatever just to see, you know, how, if it was going to work or not, uh, there was still a little bit of a shot in the dark when we put it on the racetrack and especially the challenge of trying to tune um tune the bike when there's going to be different levels of air than from like when you're on a dyno. Um, so that was one of the biggest struggles. Um, and that we struggled with some throughout the weekend, but the bike seemed to run really good. And my dad has a pretty good system set up now where he's actually going to be looking to sell some kits for the R seven, um, to run the Ram air system. I think maybe after Atlanta, we'll probably have enough pieces to, to sell a good, good few sets of them. So, but yeah, I think my, my dad really nailed it on that one. And, and the bike was fast. That's for sure. See, Jack, you pinpointed something, Jackson, that, that, um, sorry, Paul, I just want to jump in on this because this is the one thing I, I love about motorcycle racing or any kind of racing, how it improves the breed. Um, it develops things. And certainly I'm, like I mentioned in this twins cup class, you guys have some freedom to do quite a bit more. And I see this all the time where, where, you know, you guys are proving concept out on the track with what you can do. And you mentioned what you can't simulate being on the high banks with a leaf blower on a dyno. So you have to take some guesses, but the fact that now that you've developed 
develop that for your own bike, you're going to pay it forward. And, and also, you know, it's, it's maybe going to provide a little bit of a source of income there with you guys selling the parts. So, you know, I, I just love the fact that, you know, th this is you, you, we're successful with something and now, you know, some other teams are going to maybe benefit from it. And you guys, you guys don't mind doing that to try to raise the level of performance with, within the, the series, I guess, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, it's pretty interesting of like the dynamics of the class, you know, and how even me and my dad in the machine shop are able to compete with, you know, almost factory like teams um and how even even at this level all the bikes have uh, little pieces that you know differ theirs from the from the next guy um and how even after all that up on the banking you know it's it's a very minimal speed difference from all the bikes and manufacturers you know all right jackson do you think he would have interrupted me like that if i was taller no <laughs> <laughs> hey, speaking of, speaking of your dad, it, I enjoyed watching him in victory lane after after race one. I mean, he was he was going crazy and he was just being such a cool dad. I, I, I like watching that. He was on the phone with somebody. He's going, he came back from seven seconds. He loved most amazing. You know, he was going nuts. And that's really cool. What one question I have is when you have a weekend like that and you have a, a lot of success, when you go back to work at the shop, does he go a little easier on you when you've been good on the track or is it the same? <laughs> That's, it's really funny to say that because I think definitely it, it does make a difference. Right. Um, Cause I remember weekends where I didn't do so hot or, you know, I would say that maybe back in junior cup, I had a few weekends where um, my effort level was off of his and it was almost like he wanted it more. Right. And, uh, but now, especially with taking a run program, it's never, you know, efforts, never an issue at this point, you know, we're both putting in a hundred percent, but, but back in those days, if, you know, he didn't feel like I gave it my all on the track, as soon as he was ready to leave the racetrack. And as soon as we got back home, it was like, we got parts to run. And, uh, and this time he's like, I was telling him I might go, might stay like one more day down in Florida, whatever. And he's like, Oh yeah, Jackson, that's fine. That's fine. Just when you get back on, we just gotta, you know, get going on some things. And and now he's uh he's all fired up and and back on the race. And I think it kind of uh reamped his love for the sport, you know, because we were almost at a point where maybe we were looking at going a different route when my ankle was taking so long to heal. You know, I was actually almost looking into car racing or trying to look at some some form of backup but I think that kind of reignited the flame. And as soon as we got home, he's already printing 3d printing more parts, trying to make the Ram air better and uh, calling sponsors and trying to get some other parts ordered and, and it really helped me out, you know, and before I was kind of handling most of the stuff and now I can kind of already see him uh, going a little, a step further, you know, and before he wasn't planning on coming to Atlanta and now he's already talking about when we get to Atlanta. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, that's funny. And by the way, that was a good impersonation of him. I, that was thought, I know I thought we had him on the podcast instead of you. <laughs> Tell me that let's talk about that race one comeback a little bit. Obviously, you didn't give up, which it, you know is a valuable lesson to everybody. And especially at a place like where Daytona, because you can actually make some time with the draft, et cetera, et cetera. And maybe riding a little harder through the infield and 
and not worrying about the consequences of, of, of that. But what, what was your mindset there when you saw yourself pretty far back? What did you just figure, look, I'm going into attack mode and they'll come back to me. Or did you kind of think that you'd give it a go, but you wouldn't get as far up as you did? Yeah. You know, to be honest, um, right when that, that happened, uh, with the incident there with Dominic, um, my first first thought was, was you know not run over my buddy <laughs> and right. uh so once i got past that part i was like yeah i think these guys are are probably gone but then i just thought i was like well if one of them get gets dropped i think that my bike is pretty quick in a straight line and it's like if if they stay in a group it's going to be really hard for me to try to catch up but there's a chance somebody coming back to me and we had also just made big changes with the bike um, like I'd mentioned earlier, we were, it's kind of brand new setup for us. So every, every session we made big jumps with the bike. And so each lap I went, I was like seeing my personal best time, like, you know, right away, um, or like right after that crash, I think it kind of lit me up and I was like, well, I'm going to try to chase him down at least. Um, and so I just kept seeing like green, green, green in my lap timer. And the bike felt better and better the more I was pushing. And I kind of took a glance back and saw some guys. And so my first goal was to try to break, break the guys behind. And once I saw I had a bit of a gap, then I kind of saw, first I saw Hayden dropping off the group some. So that kind of helped, helped, uh, helped me mentally to kind of keep charging. And then sure enough, like a couple laps later, I see Blake falling off and coming back to us. And I was like, well, he probably thinks he's got an easy second but i think we're we're catching them fast and uh so it made for a really exciting last few laps because like i said it's it's tough at daytona when you look at the banking and the draft and it's like you know these guys are probably gone and then you know just to keep on digging it felt really rewarding at the end of the race to see those guys coming to me and especially because they didn't see see me coming in a sense I could kind of play that waiting game at Daytona and just take the shot where I wanted to and then line up Blake right at the line. So he didn't even really see it coming, you know? You know, one of the, besides you, Jackson, one of the other riders that I was, I mean, I was pretty really impressed with was Gus Rodeo. Um, I mean, he stepped up this year. I know he, he started out a little bit in Twins Cup last year, but realized it was a little bit more than he wanted to, you know, he bit off a little more than he wanted to chew last year. So he focused on um, Junior Cup and it served him well at the end of, you know, towards the end of the year. Um, but I mean, for him to do what he did at Daytona too, I mean, that, that was pretty impressive. Did you feel the same way as well for him? Yeah, definitely. Gus was on a different level than I'd saw him in the twins class, uh, the previous year. Um, so I definitely know we're going to have to, to stay on it and pick up the pace a bit, you know, cause he kind of did, um, show that he had really strong, strong pace at Daytona. Um, I will say, I guess a little bit in my defense, um, we were rushing a bit, getting the bike together, you know, not to take anything away from Gus, Right. Um, but I do feel like maybe there's a little bit missing that we should have, um, a better setup, you know, on like the, the tuning of the bike for Atlanta, but definitely Gus stepped up big time. And, and it was cool to see, like y'all were saying earlier, the pace all around was, you know, like almost three seconds faster than the previous year. 
which is just crazy. Like it seems like every single year the pace is dropping. And so it seems like everybody's making the bikes better and the guys are riding better. Um, and I think too, I'm sure Gus had something to prove, you know, coming from junior cup and moving up. Um, I feel like the junior cup is really competitive and, um, but I feel the same way with twins. And I feel like now it's kind of, I'm at a weird spot. I'm kind of like the, uh, the older guy in the class in a way, even though I don't really feel it, you know, I feel like I'm still kind of trying really this year to show that I'm ready to, to make a move into something different next year. But, um, you know, these guys keep coming up and coming with some speed and, and hunger and, you know, but we're still here and running up at the front and hoping to make a good charge at the championship this year. Yeah. And I was happy to see not only, like I had mentioned Ed Sullivan, but you, you had talked about your painter there at ghetto customs, Chris Parrish. I was happy to see him back in the fold and he's supposed to, you know, he's reinvigorated and ready to go over the entire season. And I want to ask you about the way the season is this year. Obviously we've got it set up. So we've got two races at two twins cup races at every round, but you don't race every round of the season. How do you feel about that? Oh, for me, I, I love it. Like, especially being a smaller team, it was tough to go to all the rounds and some be single race weekends versus now. Like I love the idea of take a couple rounds off and now we get two races every weekend. So it makes the track time like much more valuable for me at least. And it just kind of works in my favor that, that two or three of the tracks we don't go to are some of the farthest ones from home. So like the first three rounds being that I live in South Carolina are they're all within not quite, but around like six hours from home Um, in Atlanta, even closer, like three hours. So it makes the beginning of the season really easy. Then we go out out West to Washington Laguna, then head back home in Pittsburgh and Jersey. So for me, it's great, you know, and, and luckily with this, you know, being a smaller effort Daytona went so well, so it kind of helps cover uh, the next race, you know? All right. I've only got one more and then we can, we can wrap and let you get back. Cause I'm sure your dad's like looking at his watch going, then son of a bitch needs to get back here and do some work. <laughs> <laughs> Say that for me in his accent, please. Jackson, we, we, we got to get these parts out. Bright eyes is calling me up left and right. <laughs> right. eyes. <laughs> that was perfect. Anyway, my last question is obviously Daytona's, kind of like a big dino right so it, it might not be a, a good answer or a question for at this point in time but what is there a lot of difference between the two bikes and i'm talking about the aprilia and the yamaha or is it just like that it has its strong points you guys have your strong points and it just obviously comes out to be pretty even yeah one thing i will say is i definitely noticed the difference in the aprilias this year being that they they got the the rods they wanted. Um, it definitely seemed like they're pushing the motors harder than they were. Um, and I say this because normally the Yamaha, I feel like had the bottom end on the Aprilia. Um, and then top end was, was pretty similar. Whereas now I feel like the, the Aprilia has kind of fixed that little bit of flat spot off the bottom. And um, anytime that I was behind you know, like Glotty or, or Gus, um, their bikes looked really strong and 
I know that Robum obviously um, has been around for a while now too. So they have a good setup on the bikes, but I think that we actually may be making a few little changes to our bike. Um, try to get a little more range down low. Um, I think it'll be pretty valuable at like, especially Atlanta and Barber. Um, but luckily I feel like we had a lot of top end speed and I feel like a lot of that came from the Ram air. So it'll be definitely really interesting to see how things play out when we get to, to different racetracks. But it was, it was a really interesting race to, to look back on and see, um, you know, Aprilia win one day and Yamaha win the other. So I think that America has done a really good job with the dynamics of the class and, you know, kind of what brand is allowed to do or not. Um, but of course I definitely say they shouldn't give the Aprilia anymore. I'd say it's pretty good right now. <laughs> cut them off. So, yeah. Cut them off at the rods, but. <laughs> well, I, uh, well, at this point we'll cut you off as well and you can get back to work, but, uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, Jackson, and congratulations on a really nice weekend at, at Daytona. And as for feeling old, uh, Sean could probably back me up on this. I just still think of you as 14-year-old Jackson, so it'll probably stay that way forever. But uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll, we'll see you in, I don't know, four or five weeks down at Road Atlanta. And Sean, do you have anything you need to say? Well, I'll say something real quick, but Jackson, when you start feeling old, just remember, I think Paul can say the same thing, but I distinctly remember Chuck Blackman racing in twin sports and I watched him from the, the grandstands. So for sure, <laughs> I've been around long enough that when your dad raced, I watched him too. So, um, I don't remember him talking that way, but anyway, <laughs> that's pretty good. But, uh, yeah, so we're headed into Road Atlanta. We got a few weeks to get ready for that, but it's obviously the debut of the Medallia Superbike Championship, um, the the premier class for us with the Superbike guys. So we're going to get to see Cameron Bobier coming back, and we'll see Josh Heron debuting on on a Superbike this year. So it's a lot to see, and um, of course, get if if you haven't already gotten Moto America Live Plus for the Daytona 200, um, and as a subscriber, of course, it continues, and you'll have everything else. But but uh, for sure, sign up if you haven't now yet because we've got more classes we've got six races each day at daytona um and it's it's going to be all out there and, and it's a great track to watch um either in person or on live plus and our commentary is is excellent this year so you know cut the cord like i said and you know consume uh moto america road racing the way you want to with a streaming subscription service and that's moto america live plus so that's that's all i got to say on that again thank you jackson for being on with us and and uh we'll see you next time all right boys have a good weekend